Well, good morning. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Let me just uh, underline a couple of things that I really want you to understand. Uh, pastor Matt mentioned that we've got water baptisms in two weeks. And I, I, as the senior pastor, want to challenge, encourage, underline how important it is for you to do that. Uh, seven of you picked up New Believers packets last weekend. Every weekend, three or four of them get picked up. And if you've been here, I don't care if you've been here for a month or 10 years and you've not been baptized in water, after the service, back there by that little lamp and the uh, Love Connect serve booth in the back of the room, Pastor Nate will be there. And even if you can't attend the First Steps class, we'll take care of you. We won't rerun that class every month. And so I want you to go back there after the service and say, you know what, it's time for me to obey Jesus, make my public declaration of faith. We celebrate it, we bring the tank in, we heat it up. Only we don't just put jets in the water, but other than that, we're good. So I want to encourage you guys to take that step of faith and uh, after the service today, sign up for that back in the back. One other thing I want to mention, you might have noticed uh, uh, if you've been following our Facebook page, uh, East Points or mine or Pastor Jeff's, that his book came out this week. And uh, I want to encourage you to pick that up. It is an excellent. In fact, it's one of the, I, I know I'm a little biased. I'll, I'll grant you that. But one of the best books I've ever read on the Holy Spirit. Jeff is an incredible communicator a funny storyteller, and an incredible theologian. He will have his earned doctorate uh, here by summertime. And uh, this guy put together, I don't know, how many of you have read um, Forgotten God by Francis Chan? Well, this is Forgotten God on steroids. This is way better, and I believe it really is, it's a gift. I want to encourage you to pick one of those up, and you can order it online and encourage uh, Jeff. It's kind of amazing, really, if you think about it, that in one little church in the backside of nowhere that there are two published authors and uh, it really is pretty incredible. So it's something we can celebrate that God's doing and that he's extending our ministry uh, really throughout the world in ways that continue to surprise me. Well, uh, last week we started a brand new series called uh, The Signature of Jesus. And what we're doing is we're going to walk through the book of Mark. It's going to be a little longer series than we usually do because there's 16 chapters in the book of Mark. We're going to take one chapter and pretty much one big idea out of each chapter each week. And so we'll be in this for a while. Uh, we're calling this the signature of Jesus because as Pastor Jeff mentioned last week, the signature of someone symbolizes something about them. It's their mark on something that matters to them. And I want you to know, and we're going to say this again and again, before we get done with this series, you're going to say, I got it already. We want you to know that our hope is that you'll be marked by Jesus. I believe the Lord has led us into this season, into this book, into this time, and that God's intent is for you to be deeply marked by his teaching by his life, by his love for you, and that it will mark you in a way that will encourage you to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. Now, we want you to know more. Obviously, we're going to walk through uh, information, uh, stories about Jesus, his teaching, but most of all, and I mean most of all, what we want is for you to be radically changed by an encounter with him. That's my hope. That's my goal in this. And here's my belief, and I want to encourage and challenge you to do something. Would you each week read through the, the book of Mark? And I don't mean the, the entire book, though you, some of you might be able to do that. But, you know, next Sunday will be in Mark chapter 3. This week, read Mark chapter 3. Read it from three or four or five different translations. Read it every day. Just pick it up, and I'm, I know this is a little disgusting, but put a Bible in your bathroom. One chapter is one sitting. You can get it done. Hey, we are what we are around here, and we're, we're pretty real. But anyhow, I want to encourage you. Read the cha chapter 3 and get ready and prepared for next week, and come really with your hearts open to be marked by Jesus. Last weekend, I spoke at a fairly large church out of town, and I've had lots of opportunities because of my book to be speaking, and I love being here. I'm, I'm going to be back for a while. That's good. But um, 
I had a woman come up to me afterwards, and she, uh, she said to me, I, I got to tell you a story. I said, I love stories. Tell me your story. And she said, my son is a, was a heroin addict and far from God. Uh, I've been praying for him for years. Came to Christmas Eve services at the, that church that I was speaking at, which, by the way, is you know, why we do Christmas Eve services, so that you can invite people that are broken and lost and far from God. That's why we do what we do around here. She said, my son came. And he was finally desperate, finally broken, and he gave his life to Jesus at one of the Christmas Eve services. And I thought, that is so cool, thank you. And she's crying, and she's telling me a story. She says, no, it gets better. She said, I had already bought him your book, Epic Grace. I wanted to give it to him for Christmas. I bought it before I knew anything was going to happen with him on Christmas Eve. But can you imagine the excitement in our family when I said, son, I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you gave your life to Jesus. This was last night at Christmas Eve. I've got a book for you. She said, I just need you to know that my son is changing because of Jesus in his life, because of this church, and because of things like your book, Epic Grace. And I, you need to know this. That's what I live for. If you've been around here any length of time at all, you know that I live to see people radically changed by the radical love of God. And that's what we do here. And I just... There's a little bit of me, and I'm passionate about this today. If I sound like I'm preaching, I'm I'm just passionate, okay? (laughs) Guys, the reason we're here, the reason we do what we do is because we need a daily radical encounter with him. Now, when you first came to faith, when you first said yes to Jesus, you had an encounter with him. And you know that 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 moment in your life, everything changed. But here's the deal. Jesus wants you and me to have daily encounters with him. It's not just something that happened back in 1962. Not something that happened back, you know, 10 years ago or last week. What he desires for you and me is that we would have these daily encounters with him through, and that's why I love Jeff's book, through the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, transforming us, changing us, wooing us, making us fall more madly in love with him. And radical encounters with him are is something that he wants us to have all the time. And my concern, my, my, my fear is that sometimes, and I've done it so I own it, sometimes we come to places like this, gathered on Sunday morning to worship God, and we, just a little bit of us maybe go through just a little bit of the motions. And we're just, we're here, you know, it's good, we're church, we're supposed to go to church on Sunday, and isn't God proud of me, I drove through the snow, and I'm, you know, I'm here, and, and yet we don't really come with hearts that are expecting God to encounter us, expecting him to transform us and to change us. Maybe it's one thing, one thing God the Holy Spirit will put his finger on in your life today, one thing that he'll remind you about today that has the potential of transforming you again and molding you again into the image of his son and causing you to leave here today more like Jesus. And that's why we're here. Today, I want to help you understand why Jesus pushed so many buttons in his time. And frankly, I might push a few of your buttons today as we walk through this. But you need to know this. If you've not read the Gospels, if you've not read the New Testament, let me just tell you, everything about Jesus, about his life and his ministry, ticked off the hyper-religious and the, 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 the hyper-over-achieving uh, um, Pharisees, the, the religious right of his day. And he pushed their buttons again and again and again. As Jeff covered last week, certainly the main reason why these Pharisees, the religious, uh, the hyper-religious of his day, despised Jesus because he claimed to be God, and he did. Well, in the beginning of uh, chapter 2 of Mark, Mark's gospel, and by the way, I would encourage you to bring your Bible each week, and if you want, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can always pick them up, and if you have, need a Bible, you take it home, it's our gift to you. But in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, Jesus is teaching to a crowd. 
He's in a home, and it's just jammed. Most homes in Palestine at that time, at the most, could probably hold 50 people, but I mean, they are jammed in there. It's sardines, and they're everywhere. And then four guys are trying to bring their buddy, who's paralyzed, on a mat to Jesus. They couldn't get through the crowd, so somebody had the bright idea, let's go to the roof and tear it apart and drop our friend down in front of Jesus. Now, can you imagine? You know, sometimes... Uh, I love kids, but sometimes, you know, babies go off in service and it's a little bit of a distraction. Or the lights go out and it's a little bit of a distraction. Or Mike doesn't work. It's a little bit of a distraction. Can you imagine if all of a sudden this thatch roof with clay is starting to be torn apart and there's all this noise and there's dust and it's messy and you think, what is going on? And all of a sudden, this, these friends are lowering their, their buddy down in front of Jesus. Now, Jesus' reputation for healing was spreading like wildfire. And everyone expected Jesus to heal this guy. But what he did surprised him. He forgave this man of his sins. Luke, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter two, verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, the four guys and this man, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, how do you think they imagined they felt at that moment? Uh, That's cool, but that's not exactly why we brought him. We were hoping maybe you'd heal him. Well, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the hyper-religious, the overachievers, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now you see, there are two things every good Jew believed to be true. First is that they believed that sins were atoned for by sacrifice, performed by priests in the temple, especially on the Day of Atonement. That sins could be atoned for, but there was a set way, a religious way. It had to be done. The second thing they believed is that only God can forgive a person of his sins against God, which, by the way, they were absolutely right. Jesus knew this. He grew up surrounded by Jewish law, Jewish teaching, and he knew exactly what he was doing and the fuss that he was about to create with the Pharisees. He was not a priest. He did not offer the proper sacrifice. There was no lamb laying around there just for him to say, well, wait, time out. Let me sacrifice this lamb and forgive this guy his sins. But Jesus forgave this man his sins, and it was an implicit and an unspoken claim of his divinity. Sometimes unbelievers, people who challenge the teachings of the scriptures and Jesus, have you know, said, well, Jesus never said he was God. And I just go, man, do you not understand? That's why the Jews crucified him. That's why they accused him of blasphemy. And when he forgave this man of sins, there's not one Jew in that room that didn't think, what? He he can't do that. Only God can do that. Without question here, he claimed, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And this created a storm of controversy that would ultimately lead to his crucifixion. Because the religious rulers uh, rejected Jesus as God's son and as their Messiah, they accused him of blasphemy. And according to the law, that meant that he needed to be put to death. Like Jeff said again last week, the Messiah the Jews expected was not the Messiah they got in Jesus. And for over 2,000 years, the question men and women have struggled with is, who is Jesus? Who is he? A good guy? A prophet? Even Muslims will teach that Jesus was a prophet. Was he a teacher, a miracle worker? Was he a crazy lunatic, some whacked guy? Or was he, in fact, God and God in the flesh? And honestly, your answer to that very question determines everything about everything. Now, if you've already 
made a determination, then you know that it has affected you profoundly. If you're investigating Christianity, I just need to tell you, your answer to that question, who is Jesus, will profoundly affect everything about everything. Because if he is the Savior, and the only way, the only truth, and the only life, as he claimed, the only way to, to relationship with God, John 14, 6, then he becomes the sun around which our, the planet of our lives must revolve around. He, if he is God, and we accept that reality, then he must be at the center of everything, every decision, and every part of our lives. Jesus isn't just an add-on. He's not just in. And the reason why the first church turned their world upside down and why I still believe the church today has the potential to turn our world upside down is because they radically altered everything around this core truth. He's God. He gets to call the shots. He's Lord. He is God and I am not. He's the one I'm going to follow. I'll do everything I can, anything I have to, to follow this man. Now, some say all rivers run to the sea. All roads lead to God. And that's... Uh, often called Unitarianism, and it's very popular in some circles. But you need to know, and there's no question about this, that is not what Jesus taught or believed. In fact, he even blew up the idea that just being religious or Jewish was good enough. He taught that no one can be good enough in their own efforts, which is precisely why we needed a Savior. We need him, his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. If we are to enter into eternal relationship with the Father, so he pushed those buttons. So let's move on. Another reason why Jesus pushed so many religious buttons in his day was that he broke a lot of religious rules. Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 22, Jesus is challenged about fasting and the fact that his disciples didn't do so. And his response is very interesting there. And I would encourage you to read that on your own. In the last part of the chapter, in verse 23 and 28, Jesus and his disciples broke one of the biggest religious rules of the day, the rule about not working on the Sabbath. And in verses 27 to 28, he sent the Pharisees into a tizzy again when he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that would rock their world right there. What are you saying? What do you mean? It was one of their biggest rules. Thou shalt not work. You know, thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. Verse 28, though, he went on. He said, so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And boy, did that send them into a, a hissy fit. You're saying you are Lord of the Sabbath, that you're God? Yes, he did. And nothing ticks a rule keeper off more than breaking the rules, especially if you claim the right to do so as God, as Lord. Jesus claimed to be God, and now he confronts a religious system that had become all about following the rules rather than about true and meaningful relationship with God. But there's one other thing in this passage, and that's what I really want to zero in on today. It's Mark chapter 2. We'll pick it up, verse 13. And what we see here about Jesus is his love and acceptance of the outcast and the social rejects of the day. And he was constantly getting in trouble with the Pharisees for this. Mark 2, let's pick it up, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside, went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, Levi uh, is also known as Matthew in some of the other Gospels. It's common for uh, men to have two names. He was Matthew Levi. And Jesus says, follow me. And Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many what? Sinners. Verse 16, and when the teachers of the law 
who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And again, he's breaking another law you didn't ever associate. You certainly wouldn't break bread with with sinners and pagans and, and, and people like this. And Jesus, verse 17, I love this on hearing this, Jesus said, and he looked right at these guys, it is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You need to understand that Jesus' behavior here was terribly offensive to the pious Pharisees. Levi, also known as Matthew, was a despised tax collector who worked for Herod Antipas, the Palestinian governor, so to speak, the puppet Jewish ruler of that area, who worked for the hated Romans. And so Matthew Levi was considered a collaborator who supported Roman interest in direct opposition to the interest of the Jews. He was hated because he, and despised because he was seen as a traitor to his own people. In fact, you need to know that Matthew was the last person you'd want your son to grow up and be. You would never walk by him with your kids in that area and go, hey, look, there's Matthew. I hope you grow up to be just like that guy someday, son. No, never. But Jesus, and guys, we miss this the power of this, the boldness of this, because we don't understand how despised and hated Matthew was. But Jesus called this low-life scum to be one of his disciples. I was wrestling this week trying to figure a way that we could perhaps identify and put this in a modern context, the offense that the Pharisees felt. And I'll give you a, a, my best shot at this. Imagine that there's people down out in front of Deja Vu on Sprague, and they are picketing against sex trafficking. And, and they're, they're religious people, and they're picketing against something that is horrible. And then all of a sudden, the owner of Deja Vu steps out to the front, and Jesus walks into the picture, and he looks at that guy and goes, hey, you, come and follow me. That's pretty much the way they felt about Matthew Levi. Scum, dirtbag, there's no way he would have been able, ever invited. But the love and grace of God always pushes every button, every self-righteous button in people, always. And then just to add insult to injury, Jesus goes to a dinner party at Levi's house filled, it says, in verse 15, with many tax collectors and sinners. Of all the religious rules that Jesus broke, this is the one that I want to focus on today because this is the one that far too many Christ followers fail to understand or to remember. We fail to, to, to grasp what, what Jesus is trying to say here, that he came for the broken. He came for the disenfranchised, for those who are messed up and far from God. That's why he came. Listen again to verse 17. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love here, it says in verse 14, that as Jesus walked along, it says he saw Levi. He saw him. Jesus saw something different than what everybody else saw. All the Jews, all the religious, all the, the people in that, that area saw a traitor, a collaborator, scum. Jesus saw something different. He saw potential, not just a problem. He saw a man that could become a great apostle and disciple of his. And what you need to know is this is what Jesus consistently did. He saw people differently. At another dinner party, the home of another tax collector, another great story found in Luke chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus, who was again a a collaborator, a Jewish man who was a tax collector named Zacchaeus. 
Jesus said to him and to those that were watching and listening, Luke 19.10, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came. I came for people just like Zacchaeus, for people just like Matthew Levi. At the very heart and core of his mission was an unmovable, an unstoppable commitment to reaching those who needed him most, the broken, the outcast, and the lost. When I was in high school, back about a thousand years ago, my dad pastored a small church in Hibbing, Minnesota, way up in the Iron Range, northern Minnesota, about 100 miles south of International Falls, the Canadian border, and about 70 miles west of Duluth, and I was in the middle of nowhere, a town of about 10,000 people, most of them miners, and uh, more bars in town than churches. It was a tough place. The church that we were a part of had all these rules that they uh, operated with. They, they were sometimes uh, unspoken, but clearly communicated. No dancing, no drinking, no movies, no makeup, no jewelry, no cards, unless it was Rook. For some reason, Rook was okay, but you couldn't play with a poker deck. And absolutely no jeans in church. I'm not rebellious, but I do have to point out that, that I am breaking all the rules. This made, for my opinion, for a bunch of really ugly and grumpy people in that church. But the folks in that church did exactly what the hyper-religious Pharisees of Jesus' day did. What did they do? They elevated the rules above true relationship. Now, if you did the right things in the right way, then you got to hang out with the right crowd. And tragically, the right people never would be caught dead with the wrong people, not in that church, not in that town. And my dad, he had a lot of things that he didn't do well, a lot of things he messed up, but if there's one thing my dad did right was he had a focus on those who were lost. He was outreach focused. And God had given him a heart for the people in that town. I mean, broken, many of them, alcoholics, minors, it was a tough, tough place. And he would just reach out to them at the gas station, the grocery store, wherever, they didn't have Starbucks back then, but wherever he could, he would just reach out to people and love on them. And these people started to show up at our little church and oh my goodness, did that create a big problem. Some of them had the audacity of showing up hungover. They would go to Kagers. Do they still call them Kagers? That's what they call them in Northern Minnesota. They go to Kagers on Saturday night and then show up reeking of alcohol and hungover, bloodshot eyes and not doing too well. But they'd come on church some of them didn't, hair, didn't have, let alone wear, the right clothes. Some of them would put out their cigarettes in the church parking lot, and that really ticked people off. And so the self-righteous Pharisees in that church felt it necessary, and I'm not making this up, they felt it necessary to create a list of rules that they wanted to post on the lobby wall. And not just a little poster, a big poster. I think it was like 20, 24 things. And to his credit, my dad said, no way, and it wasn't long after that that we moved. <laughs> and then my dad was fired, given his walking papers, and we ended up in California. The good news is that's where I met my dear wife, and so it's not, yeah, it's, it's, sometimes God has a plan. But radical inclusivity, that's the, that's the way Jesus lived. It's often horribly offensive to those who think they've got it all together. And my dad was radically inclusive with people, and it was horribly offensive to those who thought they had it all figured out. But what you need to know, what I want you to be marked with today in the signature of Jesus, is that was him. That was Jesus. He saw Matthew, and he saw what he could become. 
When he saw a prostitute, he saw her potential through faith in him. When he saw a woman caught in the act of adultery, he saw a woman who could be restored and forgiven and become a follower. When he saw a leper, he saw a broken and rejected. He didn't just see someone who was, was an outcast, though, as everyone else did. He saw a man who could be healed and restored. And i got to ask you a question this morning. And don't answer out loud. And if this makes you uncomfortable, good. What do you see when someone who's obviously far from God enters into your world? Or better yet, into our church? Do you see just their sin, their brokenness? Or do you see someone whom God loves so much that he sent Jesus to reach them? Now, it's not that we throw biblical and moral standards out the window. I know the argument. Well, what about, you know, there's nothing wrong with rules. Well, you know, obviously the Bible has lots of things it tells us to do and not to do. You know, there are things that do matter. Of course there are things that matter. But once someone comes to a relationship with Jesus, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in them to change and transform them. And we just get to model that for them, encourage them, provide some help along the way. But it's not our job to, to separate ourselves from people that don't have it all together. If we isolate and insulate ourselves from those people, whoever those people are to you, then we are not going to reach those who desperately need to know and experience the love of God and his grace and his mercy in their lives. In fact, I'll put it to you this way. Religion brings isolation. Religion at its worst brings isolation. But the heart of Jesus in us will always lead to infiltration. We'll want to reach into their lives and into their world and love them. When the lost and the broken come through our doors, we must embrace them as Jesus did. When they come through these doors, when they sit here next to you, please, I beg you, embrace them and love them the way Jesus did. When they move next door to our homes, we must invite them into our living rooms, into our lives. When they end up sitting next to us in school or in a cubicle next to us at work, we must love them just like Jesus loves them. That's why we're here. That's why he came. Now people say, well, what about me? I, what about, the, don't I, I need, you know, I'm, I need to grow and you need to disciple me. Of course we do, yes. And by the way, it's why we've got like no less than three or four classes mentioned in the, the program today, in the, the Pulse. It's why we do things like men's breakfast and women's worship nights. It's why we have all sorts of things, small groups. We provide plenty for you if you want to engage, engage and grow. Mentoring, we have all sorts of things we do for you. But you know why we do those things for you? Not just to make you healthy and pretty, but to give you a heart for those who are lost and broken so that you'll have every tool, everything you need, so that you can become whole to reach those who are broken. That's why we do it. And that's why we design our services on Sunday morning the way we do. People say, I just wish we'd worship for like an hour. I just get lost in worship. Well, I love to worship. And we do worship nights from time to time, which usually only about 100 of you show up for. But that's another note. But anyhow, here's the thing, guys. We want you to feel comfortable bringing people who are far from God and to know that when they come here, they'll be loved and accepted and that they can then find what you have found, the love of God, the grace of Jesus. And so we cannot insulate and isolate ourselves from the lost. Now, use wisdom if you're a recovering alcoholic, don't go hang out at the bars to tell people about Jesus. That's not a good idea. But don't avoid bad places just because they're filled with bad people. Why not? Because that's precisely where Jesus would be. 
He cared more about the lost than he cared about his reputation among the self-righteous and the religious of his day. And so what's the big takeaway from Mark chapter 2? Well, here it is in a nutshell. Please don't let your religious rules get in the way of meaningful relationship with God or meaningful relationship with the people he came for. Jesus associated with tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans who were considered half-breeds by the Jews, people who were considered unclean and social outcasts of his day. Those are the people Jesus connected with. Let's do the same. Jesus was considered outrageous, sacrilegious, absurd, shocking, and even sinful. And he pushed all sorts of religious buttons because nothing mattered more to him than being the good news and bringing the good news. And both are important, being and bringing the good news to those who are far from the Father. Let's do the same. Let the heart of Jesus become your heart. Fall even more madly in love with him, the one who gave up everything, even his own life, to restore you and a lost world to relationship with God. And let his passion and his mission become your passion and your mission. You know, there are a lot of things we can care about, a lot of things that we're passionate about, a lot of things that we want to invest our lives in. Some of you have natural bents that you just, boy, people start talking about that, you get all excited. That's great, that's cool. I, there, I'm not saying there, nothing else matters. What I'm saying is compared to the kingdom, compared to Jesus, nothing else matters. Compared to him reaching people that he gave his life for, nothing else matters. Our convenience, our comfort Our safe, little, nice, neat world doesn't mean squat. What matters is that we have his heart and that we love people the way he did and that we reach them the way he reached them. Jesus said it one last time. What was his mission? Verse 17, it's not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick. Ever hung around sick people before? (laughs) Not always easy, not always fun. So it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they've got their poop in a group. Pardon me. <laughs> I have come to call sinners. So you think I just sinned. Okay, I'm in the group. I'm being called by Jesus. He called us to go and be like him in this world. And that's my heart. That's my challenge for you. I want to wrap this up. I want to watch this brief video together, and then we'll take communion. Let's watch this together.
follow Jesus is to have his heart and to do what he did. And he loved those that were overlooked. He surrounded himself with people in need. He embraced the sick, the broken, and the unrighteous. And if we take anything away from Mark chapter 2 today, and there are a lot of things that we didn't even talk about, would you take this away? A desire to have more of his heart. For the people you live next to, work next to, go to school with. To love them, to accept them, to embrace them, to be the good news and to bring the good news to them just like Jesus did. Nothing reminds us of the heart of the mission of Jesus more than sharing communion together. I could not think of a more fitting way for us to finish today. And I say nothing is better because it, you, I hope you know. And if you don't, let me tell you, these elements that we use, this cup of grape juice and this little cracker, what they represent is powerful. It represents the heart of God. It represents the willingness of Jesus to sacrifice his very own life. And you know why he did that? God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting, eternal life. Maybe you're here today you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And I'm not gonna have you come forward, raise your hand. I, I will tell you this. You can today, holding those elements in your hand, in your heart, in your own mind, you can just say, God, I, I get it. You love me. You love me so much you sent Jesus for me. And today, as you take that cup of grape juice and that little cracker, today can begin your beginning. Make this for you, your statement of faith. God, today I'm doing this. And it's not just a, a mid-morning stack. Today, this is my way of saying yes to you, surrendering my life. You gave your life for me, so I give my life for you. I embrace your grace, your mercy, and forgiveness. You can start that today, your journey of faith with him as a child of God. But all of us, every one of us today, and you don't have to be a member to partake. I, I, I want to encourage you to take these elements and to do this today. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Will you remember his heart today for the lost and broken in your world? We remember his heart for you. The ushers are going to come in just a moment. I'm going to pray. They're going to hand out the, the communion cups. They're double stacked. The bread's in the second cup below. Just take the double stack of cups and hang on to it. I'll come back up and we'll share in communion together in just a moment. But I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And you did not send him just to make us religious. You didn't send him just to give us a whole bunch of rules and regulations and things to do. Of course, your obedience matters. Of course, you want us to change. But God, you sent him to initiate, to bring us back to relationship with you so that by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, we could be transformed and changed and become the people we long to be, the people we can only be when we're in relationship with you. Today, for those few who are here that will begin their life as a Christ follower, even as they take communion, as they say yes to you, God, show them that no sacrifice, nothing you made was, was, was meant more to, to you than this moment for them. This is why you came for them to say yes to you, to love you. But for all of us today, God, I pray that you would remind us of Jesus. Remind us of his mission, of his purpose, of what drove him to the cross. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. It may be a little easier for the ushers to pass. But take the cup, the double cup, hold on to it, and uh, we'll take together in just a moment. I'll come back. Let's worship. Thank you for the truth, Lord. Most simple words, because of love. 
we live. Because of love, Lord, we can live for you and through you and in you. Because of what you did for us, we have eternal and everlasting hope now. And God, I will not rest. I will not stop. I cannot, Lord, until my neighbors hear about you. Until the family members I love, Lord, that are far from you say yes. Until the guy, Lord, I saw in a Starbucks the other day, the homeless guy, Lord, he looks so broken. Until he says yes and has the chance to hear the good news of Jesus. God, give us more of your heart. Jesus said, again, as often you do it, this, do it in remembrance of him. Take this little cracker, which represents his body broken for you and me. Thank you, Lord. And he took the cup, and he said it represents the new covenant, the new way of being in relationship with God. His blood shed for the remission of our sins. Take the cup now. Thank you, Lord. Change our hearts, God. And even at the risk of pushing buttons of some of the self-righteous around us, God, I pray that you would thrust us into the midst of the darkness even be the light, just like you were, Jesus. And I pray it in your name. Amen. Before you go today, a couple things. One, if you did today, took communion as the first time as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God's. Back on the tables by the doors, there's a white envelope, says new believers on it. It's got Bible's material. Get you started. Mentions one of the next first step classes coming up. I encourage you to take that. A couple weeks from today, water baptisms. Again, Pastor Nate should be back there by the Love Connect Serve Grow booth. Please sign up for water baptism. It'll happen in two weeks. And uh, Brett Tim will be down front. If you need prayer, please come this way. We would love to pray with you. And I, one, one last thing I just want to remind you. Um, a couple weeks from today, water baptism. Actually, it's the first Sunday of March that we change the service times. It happens uh, March 2nd or whatever it is. But as you go this week, as you go into your world, um, I'm looking forward to hearing some stories from you, where you say, you know, I never saw that guy. I never saw that gal. I never really saw them the way Jesus sees them. But this week, God changed my heart. I'd love to hear those stories from you next week. Go jump into Mark 3 this week and spend some time hanging out there. Thank you for coming today. God bless you guys. Go in His grace and His love.